morning, Carl. Kids are getting ready for school, and uh, we are now officially wrapping up summer, even though technically we got a month to go, but we have the St. Louis Fringe Festival. In mere moments, we will talk to Taylor Grumlow from the Tesseract Theater Company about their production of Kinky Boots at the Grandel Theater. Around minute 24, Lynn and I do a Muni recap of the season and mentioning last night's show of Sister Act. Around minute 36, Landscape of the Invisible Hand. Around minute 45, Red, White, and Royal Blue. And we have another great, ambitious project from Tesseract Theater Company. And we're very excited to have Taylor Grunlow. And Carl and I were debating your pronunciation of your name. Oh, Grandma was just great. Okay. Great. <laughs> it better double, be. Wanted to double check. Because you're getting ready for your school year too, aren't you? Yeah, start on Tuesday. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, this is for Tesseract, the little theater company that could. Uh, <laughs> you have been making tremendous strides in the last couple of years. And this is your most ambitious project yet. They are starting Kinky Boots on thursday august 17th and it's going to run for 10 days at the grandel so tell us about what possessed you to take on this challenge well i've always been a huge fan of the show and i know it was large um my students at snt really wanted to do it we put a production up in april of this year at you know the university of missouri science and technology and uh, we thought it would be a great uh, musical to offer to the St. Louis community since nobody's done it in St. Louis since uh, the Muni. And we thought um, people would be excited that people would come out and audition and that people would be excited to see it inside this larger venue um, that we've never produced in before, the Grandel Theater. And everything's working out. People did come out. We have an amazing ensemble. Um, ticket sales are going through the roof right now. And it's we're very much looking forward to Thursday night to, to celebrate all the hard work that's gone into this thing. I know we have you guys have a built-in audience because you're always pushing the envelope, and uh, you are getting pretty strong cast. But I have uh, a friend of mine uh, texted me, and and he hardly ever goes to theater. And he was like, I'm going to this. Are you going? We have to go the same night. You know, we'll get tickets. And he, he and his husband. And I was just like, Taylor, you're drawing people that never come. So this is this is awesome. This is awesome. Kinky Boots will do that. I was in a cafe the other day and someone behind me was talking about coming to see Kinky Boots. <laughs> and I turned around and I go, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is this is a, a title that people know that they'll come in and clap to and cheer at the end. And um, it's about something very important, but you also leave feeling really good. Um, so I think this is just a good recipe. And you have as your lead as Lola. Taylor Cheatham. Who is spectacular. And he is winner of the St. Louis Theater Circle Award for his portrayal of the housekeeper in La Cage Fall. 
when I saw Teeler in Lacage, they were so phenomenal. And when I knew we were going to have to have a guest artist down at the university for this type of role, uh, like I'm talking about the, the the singing capabilities and, you know, the ability to um, kind of run the marathon, that is Lola of Kinky Boots. Um, and I wanted my students to have um, access to the best and the nicest and the most empathetic person in the world. And Teeler just checks all the boxes of a major star that you want. And we've been doing this Kinky Boots adventure for almost a year now, prepping for the first production and now opening this one. And they still have all the energy in the world. They still have the brightest outlook in the world. Um, they were born for to play Lola. Oh yeah. Um, they are a, a, a person of great grace mm. and fluid movement on stage. But they're one of those people that just radiates artistry, I think. Of all kinds, fine arts, performance art. You know, I'm still amazed uh, uh, working with Taylor for so long now. And every day it's like, oh, you know how to do that? And you know how to do it perfectly? <laughs> it's hard not to hate, but they, you, you love them. And they're who's your Charlie? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, our Charlie is being played by Kelvin Erday, another great St. Louis actor um, whose voice is in pitch perfect position right now. Um, I'm sort of new to musicals and directing musicals. I still don't understand music. I can't read music. I can't help a singer out with their voice. Sometimes I can go, that didn't sound right. Um, but their Kelvin's voice right now is something to behold. And I hope the St. Louis community that has seen them do uh, more dramatic stuff in the past or some comedic uh, musical bits. I hope they uh, have a chance to come see this and see where he's at vocally right now. It's just everybody in the house every night uh, watching this. The creative staff is just like, wow, never falters. And he hasn't been in anything for a while. Uh, uh, he was a regular uh, in your dram dramas at Tesseract. And then uh, he's a veterinarian. And um, I think, did he take a, he took a little break, I think. And then he's back. Yeah, he was in our uh, show, uh, The Length of a Pop Song, about a year ago. But I think he's really focusing on his career, his day job right now, and just doing roles that really challenge him. And I believe he's had the dream to play Charlie for a long time. And he came in and knocked the audition out of the park. Um, and so he's here to prove, uh, you know, that he's got what it takes. And who is... Oh, Lauren, the yeah. character Lauren in the play, that is played by Caitlin Gant, um, who's new to Tesseract, but has been uh, doing some amazing stuff around the country. She just got uh, back from South Dakota uh, doing um, a few plays up there uh, for over the summer. Um, when we casted her, she was like, I'm not going to be here for most of the summer. I'm going to come back like three weeks before we open. And But her audition was so amazing. I was like, I'll put up with the conflict uh, on the schedule if you're willing to step into this role. And she's she's been great. She came back day one. Um, everybody was like leaps ahead of her as far as like knowing the blocking and being in rehearsal. She just jumped in and like caught up so fast fast she was so gracious um i think she's a favorite among the theater community right now and there's a reason why uh-huh well the uh everybody knows kinky boots from uh, from the the stage production well the movie 2006 chuetta edgy for he 
uh, it is currently available streaming. I, I looked it up the other day. So if anybody wants to see the contrast, but in when it premiered on Broadway in 2013, this was Cindy Lauper's first musical, and nobody really knew who Billy Porter was uh, till then. And then it made this huge splash at the Tonys, and now everybody knows Billy Porter. But at the the Muni, um, they Jay Harrison G was Lola, and that was his first. Uh, role at the Muni and he came back to do Roxy Hart or they they I should say they and then they won the Tony for Some Like It Hot so the role of Lola is very iconic but also the whole struggle of the factory the son Charlie and the worker Lauren that is very legit very relatable and I think that's why the musical is surprising to people because they don't realize they're going to get that too. Yeah. I think everybody's coming for, you know, the spectacle. They're like, Oh, we're going to see these boots. We're going to see some awesome drag. Um, we get to clap along. The finale song is a banger history of wrong guys rocks out. But I was always surprised like to be in the lobby after our first production, everybody talks about not my father's son. And it's this, huh. those two guys just bleeding their hearts out to each other going, you know what? I was, my father kind of saw me as a disappointment, but I didn't want to give up on my own personal identity. And it's just this simple moment. And that's the one um, people always seem to want to talk about afterwards, which blows my mind um, um, and doesn't at the same time, because we all want to have some sort of connection and revelation. And it was interesting when we did it at Missouri S&T the first time I had students afterwards who were part of the production and they would come in the next day and go, my dad like took me out to ice cream after the show and was like, hey, I just want you to remember that I love you. And he hadn't oh, said it wow. in a long time. And the student almost didn't know what to do with it. Like, and it was because we were always sharing our, our experiences with people accepting the show. And it's it's a big, vibrant celebration. But everybody leaves there going, hey, I'm part of of somebody else's world right now. And I hope I'm treating them well. And I hope I'm accepting them and everything like that. The show asks a lot of an audience member uh, very subtly. And I think that's why people really like it. Well, the uh, movie was about the factory where uh, they're going down on the, the the original founder is long gone and the son's the son is running the company, but the company's going down the tubes till they start making boots for drag queens. Uh -huh. And uh, so you've got a lot of boots here. And so who is your costume designer for this? Our costume designer is an 18-year-old kid, uh, Zach Phelps. He did the first production while like in his last semester of high school. And he's going into college. Like we open on Thursday night, and which is his birthday tomorrow. Oh. He moves into Stevens College on Friday. Um, I he got a scholarship for this design. Um, it's just out of this world. Everybody's always like, oh, my God, who's who's doing these costumes? And it's this 18 year old kid from Rala um, who's just knocking it out of the park. Like I believe 
Zach is a lifer in the theater. You know, he's going to Stevens now for costume design and he's already doing pro level uh, stuff. Uh, these costumes just blow me away every night, like Lola's dresses and headwear. And it's, it's just gold. Um, but for it to come from an 18 year old kid um, is, is something else. I can't wait to see what he does the, with the rest of his career. Well, this is, uh, this is like a teaching tool for you to, to get people uh, to explore new facets of their creativity and and just demonstrating their value because uh you have found your niche at this at this science college to explore the arts i just think it's remarkable what you've been doing year year to year and how how satisfactory is that to be um to be i guess motivating young minds and mentoring creatives it's amazing these 19 18 you know year olds come into the college and when we first started doing musicals because they were like hey I'm interested like in Heathers or I'm interested in Legally Blonde and I was like well I'll put it up all we can do like the worst thing we can do is fail and it's theater mm -hmm. so like why not and yeah well you ha you have still have to cast it yeah <laughs> and I, but I was like oh you know maybe only we're in the theater or we're in the room like this the great thing about educational theater is the uh, the out how we measure success doesn't have to be money and butts and seats right it's not commercial so it's like did you get an experience did you have a chance at self expression and the thing I'm always surprised by is these engineering students they refuse to fail they're like well I'll figure it out I'll figure it out and they they came from high schools that offered um, the arts and they came and they made a really hard choice uh, between trying to continue their passions or maybe play it safe by getting an engineering degree. And so when they came and found out we, I was willing to put up whatever I was like three years after COVID, I gave myself a three-year timeline, like whatever you want to do, we'll put it up. The worst thing we can do is, is fail. And that's, and then we just move on to the next thing and they just refused to fail. And we kept growing and they became so interested and all like these other engineering students who are interested in the technical roles. So we have this crazy ensemble this collaboratory going on over there um and well i'm like we have a problem and it's great because you know how kinky boots has famously has the conveyor belts for the big dance number at the end of act one we were having these conveyor belts like break and here comes the electrical engineering and civil engineering students and they're like oh hold on and you know it's sparking and they're like oh no we just got this wire here and they fix it and we're back <laughs> up and running in like two minutes um so that was great uh so those are the hidden gems that you didn't anticipate Yes. And I will, I'll go, I'll die on the hill that if you need a stage manager, find yourself uh, an engineering uh, project a nerd. Yes. Uh, they're the best project managers in the world. Um, and they solve problems. And, but and does that, does that help you with casting? Um, you know what? It's crazy. I think anybody can come from anywhere. Um, we have this chemical engineer right now. His voice is phenomenal and he can paint. He's doing all the scenic charging uh, for Kinky Boots right now. I think um, I just did myself a favor and didn't put on any expectations on these students. And I was like, come in, sing whatever you want, do whatever you want. How are you going to showcase yourself to me right now? Um, and they figure out the best way to to present themselves. And I was like, all right, well, you're an actor now, um, you know. Well, my daughter has friends at ST and they're already back. So I don't know how you're how you're uh, managing that hour and a half drive several times a week. Ooh, yeah. And I have some students in this production. Our our one of our students is getting his very first uh, 
professional lighting design gig here and we have some students in the ensemble um they're trekking they're trekking back and forth um and carpooling hopefully yes uh yes they they look out for one another but this project was so special they knew it was special to me the content of the piece um and so they sort of rallied around it and they found their uh, voice inside of it too um and it was so special and they wanted to come to st louis and be able to work with some of these professionals and work with teeler again and they're falling in love with everybody in st louis and making all these great uh connections and networking um that you know if they do find a date and they're learning that if they do find a day job in engineering that there are communities out there putting stuff up at night and fighting for for space in the arts they can explore their others, their other, their right brain sides. They can, mm -hmm. they can do all sorts of things. That's the magic of, I think, the regional uh, theater community here is people have all sorts of, uh, you know, real jobs, <laughs> but yet they have this burning desire to uh, be creative. And, and you find these talents that are make, like, like, Calvin is a veterinarian and uh, uh, there's another guy who's a surgeon that is in a, a lot of shows, uh, Bradley Fritz. And I'm okay. just constantly amazed like, Bradley. oh, you're doing a, yeah, you're doing a chorus line and you're a doctor. In fact, he was at a show. He was at Janelle's cabaret at the blue strawberry uh, two weeks ago where she's doing the Judy Garland show, You Made Me Love You, and somebody in the audience collapsed. <laughs> he was on the He, he knew was what to do. Holy cow. And they got they got the ambulance and they got her and everything. But yeah, he attended to it's like the singing surgeon. <laughs> but I'm a I'm just I'm just thrilled with how you've grown this program. And I did notice that your new your summer new play festival, which was fabulous, two female playwrights. I applaud you on on that. And they were both so different, but so uh, emotive. And those casts, including Carl Taylor's yes. daughter, made her debut. Ooh, congratulations! Yeah, she did, had a great time, especially to be able to work with Brianne and Crichton and Christina Rios uh, on her first time out on the deck. Um, I was like, Hey, you peaked, you're 13 years old and you already peaked with like your cast members. Uh, good luck uh, going forward. Well, she can only grow up, but I noticed that your audience has so many of your students. They come, they come and they're so excited. And, and that's not that's, even for extra credit. No. <laughs> and they're so supportive. And uh, yeah, no, I just think that's such a great thing. So how can people get tickets and, and all that? Give us the 411. Right. Um, MetroTix.com. If you're in Midtown, MetroTix.com is going to is gonna make sure that you have a wonderful day um, finding art and theater and performance. So MetroTix.com. And we're very, it's very exciting to be on MetroTix's little splash page. It's the fox season oh. and the kinky boots um, uh, with a wonderful picture of Teeler. So MetroTix.com. It's so easy to find um, kinky boots on that website. And we're not general admission this time. This is our first time doing a tiered ticket system since we're inside Ooh. the um, so reserve your seats um, it'll be great and if you want parking information it's all on there too but you can also go to tesseracttheater.com and get and that's tesseract theater re the way it should be spelled yeah. and yes. you also you also have a um ambitious season i was just telling carl before you uh, hopped on that 
this new movie, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I'm going to review today, uh, was written for the screen and directed by Matthew Lopez, who what won the Tony for a play you're doing this spring. Yeah, The Inheritance, both parts um, in April, directed by Stephen Pyrick. Um, I was, I saw everybody in New York was talking about The Inheritance and it got published and I, and I didn't see anybody doing it around town. And I actually went to a couple of people at different theater companies that might do it. And I was like, is this on your radar? And they're like, oh, we just did something heavy or we're not going to do that for a little while. And I was like, well, who's the best Fine. person? Practice. Yeah, in St. Louis. And it was Stephen Pyrick, like his passion for uh, for for a story like that and his passion for for the performance he saw in New York. And I was like, hey, can would you consider directing this? And he was like, yeah, um, like you have like we were Fine. thinking about doing it earlier in the year because I just want to get that out. Right. I just want to see this play so bad. Um, and he was like, this is my this is the 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 hole in my schedule. And I was like, well, we'll we'll acquiesce to you because I think you're going to be the perfect person to to direct this. Yeah, he's directing Tick, Tick, Boom at the end of September for Take Two Productions, a community theater group. So, yeah, so he's busy. So I'm excited because I did hear, because Reggie D. White, who is at the, the Repertory Theater Company of St. Louis, he was in it on Broadway. Oh. And uh, that was, and that won the Tony. It was the the year, I want to say the post-COVID year or the during COVID. Yeah, they still list it as the 2020 winner. So, so, but that's exciting because you're bringing something fresh. And then you also have another show that's that's coming up. Yeah, in November, we're doing The Mad Ones, uh, which is a really great sort of black box musical. It used to go by the title of the autobiography of Samantha Brown. Um, and it's got some amazing songs and it, we, and the cast is uh, Grace Langford and Melissa Phelps. So local legends there, and it'll be Kevin Corpus's directorial debut. And I've been going around the community just saying that like 2023 is the year of Kevin Corpus like, <laughs> five years and welcome to Arroyos. And he just played Jesus and Godspell. And uh, he's going to come in, come at everybody in November with uh, an amazing musical. So and that's you- back at the Marcel. Back at the Marcel, a little bit more intimate space. Um, the It's a wonderful musical about a young woman who recently lost her friend and is like, do I stay depressed? Do I go off to college? Like, where is my path right now? Um, and I, it's very relatable. And uh, I think it has the same kind of audience. I don't know if you remember Ride the Cyclone at Stray Dog Theater. That was pulling, like, people were driving from all over the country to come see that because it had such a following. Mad One sort of is sort of in the same sort of pocket. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, well you can find it. out all that information at tesseracttheater.com. And I also want to give a plug for your Instagram page because there are a lot of behind the scenes things going on with Kinky Boots. Yeah, we're taking some great photos and we're having a good time marketing this one. I have somebody recently came up to us and was like, hey, I'm enjoying all the advertising. It doesn't even get old. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the best compliment you can get. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to you're going to raise us up because I cannot wait to hear raise you up. That's on my iPad rotate. Or I don't even think we have a, a iTunes rotation. Yeah, it makes that- me smile every time it comes on. So. The audience is going to leave with a uh, smile on their face. 
Yeah. And wanting to run home and order uh, some knee high boots, stilettos. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can, I know for a fact that, that Teeler will be rocking those boots. Oh yeah. Teeler is on them, in them all day, all day. And like, even like rehearsing scenes where they're not even supposed to be wearing them. He's, uh, they are, they are, they're rocking them out. And then some of the new ensemble members, their first day getting them, they're like, no, no, I refuse. And I was like, well, you got to put them on. Like people are, their feet are hurting, uh, but it looks so much fun at the end. Oh yeah. Well, listen, I'll break a leg and I'll see you Thursday night. Oh, great. Thanks for talking. And thanks for letting me talk about it. No, thank, thank you very you. much. All right. I can't wait to uh, hear your review of red, white, and Royal blue. Okay. All right. It's coming Bye, up. Guys. Bye. Well, Lynn, let's actually stick with theater and because you and I both went to see Sister Act last night. Yes, we did. It is a morning after our final muni show of the season. So what did you think about the 105th season this summer? Uh, this I want this is weird to admit, but and I'm going to admit it or in front of everyone. This is the first time in a while that I have been actually been able to see Every single show, because sometimes there's things that go by. And then there was uh, one year we had a hockey season that uh, stopped everything. Uh, but this I saw all seven shows. Every single show, one show I had to go on the very last night, but I made sure that I saw all seven shows and I enjoyed this season very much. I think not only were the shows chosen well, but the placement of the shows was very well done. Yes, it had a certain flow to it. I talk about that seven-story arc um, that I thought really went well because four premieres with risk comes reward. And I think it was a totally uh, riveting season. You might not have liked everything. I admired chess. I don't say it like other people just, you know, thought it was the best thing they've ever seen. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but I appreciated what every uh, show tried to do. I really loved Beautiful on the Muni stage. And I was surprised at how effective Little Shop was because I've seen it so many times. And Beauty and the Beast, too. I thought the Beauty and the Beast was quite elegant and also had so much heart to it with 85 people on stage. And then we go to a small cast like Little Shop and it was effective. And I know there's a lot of quibbles about Rent, but it's a personal favorite. And I just love that music. And I had it in my head for, oh, like the last, what, 10 days. And then to end, Sister Act ends on such a glorious note. It is hilarious. We were laughing hard it was and so funny it wasn't it and i think as much as i criticize movie adaptations for the stage i think well, this is perfect for that no well look, there are two things that they changed about it one fr from the movie it doesn't take place in the 90s anymore it takes place in the 70s which was not a part of the thing so the songs have a disco flair and two they don't have any of the song the they don't have any of the songs from the movie. So if you're going there hoping to hear to know him is to love him, you're not going to hear that because that's what the that's what Sister Act and Sister Act 2 did. They took soul songs from the 60s and they 
didn't make them about loving a boy. They made them about loving the Lord. And that's what the novelty of Sister Act, the movie, was. This is an, a, an entirely original music and book by Alan Menken is wrote the music. Yes, and and um, Mike Isaacson, the executive producer and artistic director, swears he did not have that in mind when they put together this season because this is the third Alan Menken show after Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast and Little Shop of Horrors. And you and I... Coincidence. Are, I know. It's a happy coincidence. But what uh, I do want to say is ev- the, all the voices in Sister Act were very very strong uh glenn slater uh did the book and alan macon did the music but and he writes it for very strong voices you can't have weak voices and i was so impressed with every it's it's really hard to single anybody out because every single lead and even the chorus are very strong and powerful voices yes and uh Mother uh, Superior was a muni favorite, Mamie Paris. And we last saw her as the uh, spunky wife in Paint Your Wagon. And she's been, uh, uh, she's got a glorious voice. And then, of course, Dolores was uh, uh, the woman who was nominated for a Theater Circle Award as Mother Abbess in Sound of Music two summers ago. But Brianna, uh, what is her last name? I'm looking it up. I think she'll be, but Brianna Marie, I think she will be back. And then uh, Sweaty Eddie was played by James T. Lane, who was Billy Flynn in last year's season opener, Chicago, which was an encore presentation which was the previous year's season closer (laughs) right that was covid shortened and uh if you saw the karate kid the musical at stages alan h green who played this the evil sensei was the um he was curtis jackson the villain the harvey Keitel part from the movie yes and then uh playing the priest tom sesma wasn't he hilarious? Very good. Oh my goodness. I really enjoyed the staging, how they used the the uh the stage for the church and the costumes. It looked like uh they raided Studio 54's closet, if there is such a thing. Because but it, it was, was it was it was well done. Right. Well, the the direction and choreography was from one of my favorites, Dennis Jones. He's the one that did, he does those big, huge, splashy musicals at the Muni. He did uh, 42nd Street when they had just that row and row and row of tap dancers. Yes. He directed Chicago and he cleaned up at the Circle Awards two years ago for that. And uh, I just think it's, um, it's truly remarkable that we have rebounded from the pandemic from no season in 20 to a shortened season in 21 to a pretty darn good season last year to this one, which just, I just think it raised the bar. It raised the bar for talent 
and for execution. I think there was extraordinary Muni moments this summer that we're going to remember. And I don't always say that, that the shortened season uh, that we had two years ago, you know, my quibbles with Seven Brides and also the Sound of Music. But but this season seemed to be, there was something for everybody to enjoy no matter what. And they seemed to have such strong cast this year that the casting uh, and Michael Baxter's the local casting director was extraordinary. You might not know who these people are, but you will remember those voices. Yeah, I think, I think it was really a strong season for the Muni and you were telling me your picks for next year, but you picked a show that's coming to the Fox. So they're not going to do it the same season that the Fox is doing come from away. No, but you never know. You never know. I just think it, if it gets out there on the on the ballot and they have a strong reaction, then they will work on it on a, a future year. I remember when they had Beautiful, the Carol King musical on there as a toe dip, as they say in the biz. And mm -hmm. everybody was like, what's this beautiful musical? And nobody voted for it. And then, look, it opened the season and was one of the favorites but uh the one one thing about sister act that was was the humor was so funny it was mm -hmm. set in philadelphia and so that in itself had its own jokes and also the uh the the because the philly well besides cheesesteak jokes but the philly soul the blue-eyed soul of the right. philadelphia sound well, they they yeah they had a they had a sound of philadelphia reference and they had a soul train reference and they they were all all about making it yeah and uh one of the one of the doofuses that uh, is curtis's henchman the the big one that reminded you of jack black mm-hmm he played Dewey Finn on the first national tour of School of Rock. Um, that makes sense. Yes, because he he uh, he reminded you of of that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And and, and being such a uh, rotund gentleman as he is, he's he still moved around and did all the choreography like a pro. Right now, the woman who played the postulate. Mary Robert, that was in the wheelchair, Meredith Aleja Wells. Yeah. She was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they didn't they didn't change any of the words of the songs that that character was singing because uh Mary Robert has a lot of songs about getting up and standing up for herself. And it just so happens that this actress is in a wheelchair and they didn't change any. They didn't try to make it politically correct. They just said she sings about standing up for yourself and standing up and rising up. And I thought that was a very strong choice not to have the words changed because she is in a wheelchair. Yeah, she was just beaming during curtain call last night because she got extra ovations. I had people around me that stood up immediately as soon as the lights went down. Mm 
And a nice mm-hmm. touch now, it seems to be for the final Muni show of the season is the fireworks. And it just yep. makes it extra special. And um, it's always sad to me when the, the light starts fading in mm-hmm. August and people are going back to school and it just but last night was perfect. They didn't even have the fans on last night. No, last night was absolutely beautiful. In fact, I wish I would have brought a sweater. There were a lot of people uh, that did bring wraps. I know. I know. So I talked to two people. I was having uh, drinks over at the Culver and I said, you have bare shoulders. And they said, we brought sweaters. My child was not that, uh, uh, fortuitous because I had to snuggle. I'm like, are you oh. getting cold? I'm fine. So everything's good. Lynn, let's talk about a movie that you saw this. Well, unless you want to say anything else about the media, we, we can't give no. it enough superlatives. So let's talk about the one movie that either of us saw that opens up this week. Okay. I saw landscape with invisible hand. And that is directed by St. Louis and Corey Finley. Now, you might remember him as the director behind a critically acclaimed, but I'll bite uh, quirky thriller called Thoroughbreds. Did you see Thoroughbreds, Carl? I don't think I did. That was one of those art house darlings. Um, It's very, um, it's about teenagers that turn on each other uh they're Yay. well they're they're uh, they're well uh they're from very wealthy families it's it has that uh, uh, oh that cook she's a young and it had anya taylor joy in it too oh well yeah. i know i know that he directed bad education on hbo which yes. was which hugh jackman and uh well, who else was in that? Oh, there was a ton of people. Allison Janney. Oh, and, uh, I was thinking of uh, Ray Romano. Yes, who was quite excellent. And he's a rising star. He went, he grew up in Clayton and he went to John Burroughs School. And he was back there in spring to deliver a, a keynote speech. And uh, they did his play, The the feast which st louis actor studio did back in 2017 and he came to town and he did a q a he's based in new york and he is very loyal to this area like uh, during the pandemic st louis actor studio had him participate in a fundraiser along with john ham and some of their buddies and uh he's uh the the thoroughbreds was described as heathers meets american psycho so this one is based on a sci-fi book by mt anderson have you ever heard of when i saw when i saw the i didn't see the trailer first i saw the uh one sheet the poster and i thought it was animated and it is partially animated because this story contains aliens which are animated well this is a quirky one the aliens have taken over the earth it's a benevolent alien occupation of Earth. The human race is still adjusting to the new world order because the VUV, V-U-V-V, have taken over. They are squishy rectangle blocks. 
And initially their advanced technology uh, held some promise for the world to prosper, but they were not so, they were fairly evil because they rendered most human jobs obsolete. So these families are struggling. We have the Campbells and the Marshes. And Adam Campbell is played by Asante Black. And his mom is Tiffany Haddish. And this is an interesting role for her because she plays Beth, who was a uh, first in her law school uh, graduate. And she's a corporate attorney. Now she's like shilling soup somewhere. And her son, Adam, is an artist, hence the title Landscape with Invisible Hand. Throughout the movie, his artwork of what's going on in the world is shown. He befriends a girl in high school named Chloe, who's played by Kylie Rogers. And Carl, you know her as Beth in Yellowstone. Well, she plays the young Beth Dutton on the Yellowstone show. Right. So she's not... she. She is the junior version of fan favorite Beth Dutton. So this is rather quirky because the Vuv are fascinated with human love. And they, will they don't pay, have it. No, they will pay for access to it. So Chloe hatches this plan to live stream their romance and they can make extra cash for themselves and their families. And her dad played by the wonderful Josh Hamilton and her brother played by James Gandolfini's son, Michael. <clears throat> and he's a surly, bitter dude. <laughs> they have moved in with this family because they're living in a, basically a van down by the river. Yeah. And so, so Tiffany Haddish is rather, uh, chippy um in terms of her uh, a chip on her shoulder about well this is our house and we've uh you know and you guys are moochers so we have that whole dynamic going on so there's a lot of things going on and then their their romance fizzles causing the family to lose income and it's all monetary it's just this very interesting take on life. Like what if we are controlled by these aliens who are forcing us to do things that we don't want to do. So there you go. And uh, <laughs> William, uh, William Jackson Harper from the good place plays uh, her, her, his dad, I guess. Uh, yeah. And he's only in for a, a bit because the dad has left. There's a lot of, Oh, there's oh. a lot of domestic turmoil in the U.S. because of these. The alien takeover? Yes. And uh, Corey, being a graduate of girls, and a uh, obviously he was, he was, you know, destined for a playwright and mm -hmm. filmmaker role in life. He has a real flair for dialogue, and he's willing to take risks. And I think he he has a different view of life, you know, so so I like his point of view. I don't necessarily know if this is going to be a successful venture for him, 
But well, this debuted at Sundance back in January, right? And And it's it's Plan B, isn't that uh, Brad Pitt? Yes, it's Brad Pitt's uh, and Jennifer Aniston. Yes, and so well, no, not Jennifer. I don't. Well, no, she she helped find found it, and then once they got once they broke up, uh, it's all Brad Pitt and Brad. Yeah, yeah, and so I don't. I don't know. I uh, some people. I don't think it. I don't think it comes together as well as it should, but there's, it's a terrific cast and they're watchable and it's not predictable at all. You have no idea what's going on. And these things are gross. These little (laughs) squishy hunks. Animated. What's very funny is they are enamored with fifties and sixties Americana. They um, love the old sitcoms like watching Ozzy and Harriet and they want life to be like that with the humans and so um, that's a funny what happens in the 21st century that's a a funny twist where they're wanting to oppress people by being retro (laughs) the good old days yeah and it's it's a it's a weird um fascination and i think and i think if you read the book because i don't know what they changed ah now speaking of book adaptations we can go on to the far more successful red white and royal blue have you seen this yet it's on amazon prime i have not the only last thing we watched on amazon prime we finished up good omens which uh Neil Gaiman, who was recently in St. Louis, said that he wants to do a season three and it sets up season three perfectly. So Good Omens is on Amazon Prime. And that is what we were watching the week that Red, White and Royal Blue came out. But that's based on a book, right? Yes, it is. It's a very popular New York Times bestseller. And it's about a gay romance and uh the, there was a lot of expectations for this movie. I thought the trailer looked silly. And so I thought, oh, here's another concept romance because it's the Prince of Wales and the president of the United States' son. And they start off as enemies because uh, they, they consider like the prince, the president's son, Alex Claremont Diaz thinks that the prince is a stuck-up snob and he finds the uh, president's son to be a bore, to be reckless and too much of a party boy. And there's Prince Harry references to the president's son, let's say like that. And so there, he set up the opposites Uh, And then they force them to be friends after a huge, horrible incident at a royal wedding of the Prince of Wales' brother, because he's the spare. This uh, (laughs) Prince Henry is the spare. And so they they force them to act like friends for the media because of the British and U.S. relations. Uma Thurman is Alex's mother and plays the president of the United States. And she's from Texas and she's married to Clifton Collins, Jr., a Latino senator. 
and they came up by their bootstraps. And so Alex has that working class ethic and uh, he's working on his mom's campaign. He reminded me of a JFK Jr. type character, altruistic and everything. So so this these two are thrown together and sparks fly and they fall in love. And Prince Henry Does everyone is know they're gay or is that no. like a big the, oh, oh, no, so they, they're are they, they're are they closeted or are they they're, just yeah they are closeted okay. and uh Alex discovers that oh I really am bisexual and they have the first great romance of their lives but they're keeping it quiet and hush hush but this jealous uh political reporter that had a fling with Alex uh spills the beans and it becomes this worldwide uh scandal so to speak but in the end the 21st century uh hopeful tolerance you know wins out so it's done by uh this uh matthew lopez this uh you know buzzy playwright and he wanted to make it about the romance and so he cut out some of the characters of the novel but it doesn't seem to affect so it. So you read the book? Well, no. what you've already described it seems a lot for a two-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. But these are what I found so appealing because a friend of mine texted me because I said, oh, I don't know. I don't want to watch that. And she said, New York Times gave it a rave review. And I was like, oh, okay. And the book so or the movie? <laughs> I, I went I watched it and what I found is the two leads are charming. They are actors. The prince is played by Nicholas Galatzine, and he's just been in in minimal type stuff. And then the um the Alex is played by Taylor and uh oh man, I gotta look up his name. Taylor because, Zachar Perez from yes. the kissing booth. He's from the kissing booth and he's from Minx. Minx, the story about the uh, male nudie magazine. Yeah. And they have a great, they're studly, obviously, studly and well built. And uh, they're very believable as these young 20 somethings wanting to change the world. And uh, they ask, uh, they have a, wonderful screen presence and they have a believable romance and i was surprised so it just goes to show you i can always be surprised at how effective this sweet romance is and you were I, you're giving this a positive review i know i enjoyed it and it's it's getting great buzz great you know and and it's also making people realize they normalize this romance to the extent that it's exactly like a chick flick mm. only it's the same sex romance. Okay. Well, didn't bros try that too? Yes, but uh, this somehow, um, I, I don't know what to say. Is, that less I in, is it less in your face? I liked bros too, but bro, I think Billy Eichner was trying to prove a point. And I loved it. And I loved bros. I thought bros was fantastic. But 
It was a little too in your face for mainstream. And is this one more subtle? I wouldn't necessarily say subtle, but I think uh, the message is perhaps more uh, well-received. For main mainstream middle America? Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't see it, so I cannot say. No. So that is on streaming. That's and, why I'm asking you. Yeah. And so I think it's worth, uh, I think it's worth, worth uh, diving into and, uh, you know, come with, if you're open-minded and uh, I think, you know, everybody strives there because I don't know, it's a, it's a new day and age and we have to, um, it's just, it's just interesting to see how, uh, how, Romance is now portrayed in films and just let, you know, just the fact that we don't have to talk about this, like, you know, oh, this is the first big gay romance movie or, right, or this is the not. first, you know, it's like. Hallmark uh, Channel has gay romance on it. Yeah. So I just think that, yeah, it's, it is a, it's okay. Let's put it like this. It's no wedding. It's no four weddings and a funeral, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it. They're very charming. It has good things to say. And some of the supporting characters are really fun. And okay. I, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a fantasy, just like the rom-coms are in terms of like Julia Child being, uh, being a spy, <laughs> being, you know, swept off her feet by Richard Gere. I mean, pretty women is pretty out there. Julia, Julia Roberts. That's why I said spy. You said Julia Robert. You said Julia Child. <laughs> I did. Oh yeah. my God! It's uh, the immunity. That's was why I said a I spy <laughs> because Julia Child was a spy. Julia Roberts was a pretty woman. All right, All right well, Lynn. This, this is On a that note, movie. we stayed up. We stayed up too late last night. So, where can we find you on the socials? I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times and I am on KTRS every Friday at 11.08 a.m. with Jen and Wen. And oh, by the way, Jennifer went to see 145s and loved it. It was sold out. Good. And uh, my website, poplifestl.com is where you'll find all uh, theater reviews and more movie reviews and uh, things like that. You Carl, can where find can we me. You can find me on the Mark Cox Morning Show Monday through Friday on 97.1 FM Talk. And then on the weekends, Second Amendment Radio and The Great Outdoors on 97.1 and KMOX. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at underscore Carl the Intern. And St. Louis Blues Hockey announced today that Jamie Rivers will be taking over for Darren Pang as he goes to Chicago. So it will be John Kelly and Jamie Rivers as your new broadcast team for your St. Louis Blues. Oh, wow. Brand well, this new. Is... And they they also released the information about Star Wars Night and Pride Night and Racing Night and the Point Night all on the Blues website, which is blues.nhl.com. Well, wow. Well, single tickets are now on sale for the Broadway season at uh, the Broadway series at the Fox. Uh, the in as we move into the fall entertainment season, the trailer for Maestro was released yesterday with Bradley Cooper as Leonard yep. Bernstein and Carrie Mulligan as his wife. 
and that is going to be on Netflix December 20th, but it will be uh, in theaters first. And then uh, Netflix just dropped the teaser trailer from Edgar Wright for Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which is an anime series on Netflix starting November 17th. So I am excited about that. Are you, Carl? I am. And Ahsoka starts next week on Disney+. Plus. And we're three episodes into Only Murders in the Building. So a lot of things. And Futurama is back on Hulu. A lot of things going on. Lynn, I hope you have a great week. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, I will. And uh, Hall of Fame weekend for the cards. And you all stay safe because COVID, new strain of Omicron is back. So be careful. Be careful. Be Be well. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye.